This is No More Normal. I'm Khalil Ekelona. Have you been out to see any live music now that venues are reopening? Are you scouring Ticketmaster to discover if your favorite band is coming to town? Is Ticketmaster still a thing? I'm not so sure. But I am confident that the music is back, along with DJs, bands, touring agents, managers, sound engineers, oh, the list goes on. Music venues, live music venues, those that were able to stay afloat during the pandemic, they're now gearing up to have the events that we all missed so dearly. Today, we talk to some of the people responsible for the music we listen to. We hear from a panel of DJs, some live music venue owners, a couple of bands, a manager, and the people who contributed music to this show. No More Normal starts now. One of the things I missed was heading out to a local dance floor to party with one of my favorite DJs. Did you miss it as well? Happy days are here again as DJs keep the beat going through live streams, but now we get to see them in person. Yes. I put a panel together of DJs to talk about the last year. Come with us into the mix. My name is Jerome Williams. I go by DJ J-Rock. Hello, I'm Vanessa Bowen. I go by City, which is the word in Navajo for bird, which was my nickname. My name is Eddie. I go by DJ Diamond Tip. My name is Anjo King. Hi, y'all. It's James Black. I go by James Black on the decks, and I'm so glad to see everybody. And also, now I know uh, the meaning of Vanessa's DJ name. I never knew that, so they got respect. My name is Roscoe Pico Train Floyd, aka DJ Flow Fader. Ain't no one greater. Eddie, we had the shutdown. How did you take the news of gigs that you had booked out becoming canceled? You know, I didn't know what to expect. Doing all the last gigs, it was a loss. Like, are you serious? I'm not going to be doing this. I, in a, in a small circle of people, like with Flow and all that, we jumped on the stream. We took advantage of every opportunity that was in front of us. It was kind of like the mentality of I refuse to not allow myself to be out there and do what I love to do. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to be in my living room rocking out. So um, it, it just kind of pushed us to be creative of what else is out there because I'm going to do this. That's going to flow right into a big conversation of Twitch being a DJ savior to a certain extent. Vanessa, did you take a transition to Twitch? How did your program change? So right when the pandemic hit, we literally had the show at Canvas and Knob Hill and we had Brent with us and he did like a killer set. And I swear that was like the flame blew out after <laughs> because we got the news and that was like our last event. And we were like so pumped because we were going to get like Adobe Disco together and do Queen Plate Club, which is basically like a brunch setting and we could just jam and vibe during the day. And then of course it was canceled. And of course I did make that pivot into Twitch, but funny enough, I realized that I hate being on camera and then also being like a graphic designer, being on screen all day, just, I couldn't do it. Like I had to just tap out, but I am so thankful for other DJs, Twitch streams. I was able to like view and watch and just get like that music fixed from it. James, what was it like for you? You know, I didn't do Twitch and I admire everybody that did. And I see such momentum, especially amongst some younger up and coming DJs that really were able to pivot and work that way. We work with our position downtown where I'm located. And during the art walks, when it was most heavy, we were inside and I still put speakers outside. But not unlike Vanessa, I kind of kicked back a little bit and found that I kind of like platforming other DJs 
that's kind of what I've been doing most recently, especially with Artwalk and putting the sound systems outside and all that. Anjo. I gave up on life, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't really care. <laughs> I sold my equipment. I focused on producing music because that's where I started. And I just learned a lot about the structure of music. Listening was a big part of my journey. I feel more connected and it's a very vulnerable thing to play the music that's like close to your heart, especially if you're not represented in the scene. It's true. So I am a healthcare administrator. I'm so used to being on Zoom so much and being all these COVID meetings that I just got into a very depressive state. I wasn't getting any gigs. I wasn't doing anything with music at all. And so I was just going online and just learning from people. That's mainly what I was doing. It wasn't until the Elijah McClain movement started happening in Aurora, Colorado, where I started to be more actively engaged and decided to take some time off of work and drive to Colorado. And I would do little house parties and stuff for people. Oh man, my experience was dreadful. It was awful, honestly, man. DJing was my only job and that meant zero cash coming in. So when that stopped, depression came in. Along with no cash, I got depressed. Big shout out to Diamond Tip for um, initiating the motivation to Twitch while I was going through my mental transition. I had those guys for inspiration and I jumped up on it late December 2020. In between that downtime, I was also going to school to CNM to try to transition into a professional career. So that's where I'm at right now. But the COVID was really bad. On top of that, I got COVID, guys. I acquired COVID. So with that being said, I was definitely down. I had low motivation and my wife and I were just quarantined together. Fortunately, we get along and we didn't kill each other like a lot of other couples. That's basically how it was for me. It was dreadful. Can you guys talk to me about that connection that you have with the audience and how that connection was missed last year? And also, what do you think that connection would be like now? Flow here. What I do miss is being tangible, being able to touch people, being able to embrace when meeting and greeting others. Like when I saw you, Anjo, I was super happy and we gave each other a nice hug, a real true hug. And that's something that I missed doing. That's something that is a part of me as a human. I like to embrace others and show camaraderie. And that's something that was truly missed. That's actually a part of my depression. I Not seeing others and not being able to touch others. James, did you feel that? I think with some of the base nights that we've done, we get a really, one that's really running. I think there's a holy trinity there. There's the MC, there's the DJ, and there's the crowd. And we're really vibing off of each other. And then something happens to where we're doing it together. Vanessa, did you experience something similar? I mean, you had a show on KUNM that was running, so you had an ability to constantly connect to an audience, but that's very different than performing live. Kind of to echo what everyone else was saying, it did take a lot to get into the music during the pandemic because I felt like it was a really good time for us to do like reflection and to sort of work on ourselves. And I hear that kind of coming out of the conversations that are occurring right now. But when you get back into it, like what was really essential is like, it's that community aspect of like the music that's super important. And as like a house and techno lover, that was what it was built off of, you know, like the music is really 
the response to the realities that we all live in. And, you know, that's also making that safe space. And of course, for the queer community. Do you all expect new innovative forms of the genres that you're specialists in or other forms of music? Do you expect people to come out with different messages and a different sound? I think right now I see a younger crowd coming in and they have a flag planting it in the ground and they're saying ours now and it's inspiring but also older heads got to take note there is a new sound coming through us locally i do see something happening within hip-hop too anjo outside of playing other people's music you focused on your own did you take a different approach when making music because of the change in the pandemic i was always making music that never changed for me it was really learning about the structure what note gives somebody the goosebumps mm -hmm. or what beat or what transition makes somebody engage thinking in that sense about how can i impact people through sound there seems to be a lot more tools and gadgets available for all forms of music production but particularly djs it's almost like you can remix a song live on the fly flow here during the pandemic I realized that not just scratching and beat juggling and playing was enough. I need to start pressing these buttons like these young kids are doing. I need to like start getting a little bit more technical and a little bit more creative. Like James Black said, the youth, they're here and they're ready to take over now. It's kind of like how when we were young and we were hungry, I am inspired by the youth. I teach kids and they show me stuff that I never, if I was in my basement, I never would have thought of. So I'm definitely gonna start pressing these buttons more. I'm gonna start hitting that. At first in the beginning, because I'm more mature, I thought, hey, you're a button presser, yo. Get the hell out of here. But there are some cool techniques that you can incorporate with those buttons and it makes you stand out like no other. Do you all have an idea or any fears or trepidations or hopes of venues kind of changing their approach when it comes to working with DJs in the future, seeing the importance of the appeal and the draw and the crowds that you all bring to them. Jerome? So I'm kind of used to venues opening and closing. Uh, Santa Fe has been in the pits for closing venues and stuff. It would be nice to have some nice venues that we can play in that's consistently open. My hope is just more house venues. I get it, hip hop is dope, but music is so vast and we're focusing on one genre. For me, I'm like, I want to see a house venue. I want that to come to Albuquerque because it's needed. With house comes many other genres, just all this music that we're not being exposed to. So that's my hope. Let's get it. I want to thank all of you all for this fantastic conversation. Thank you for joining me. And I want the listeners to recognize that the DJs are around and they're the heartbeat of our lives. Thanks to Jerome Williams, Vanessa Bowen, Eddie Sanez, Anjo King, James Black, and Mr. Roscoe, Flo Fader Floyd. Thank you all so much. I appreciate you. Thank you for keeping the rhythm moving, always.
Managing a band is hard work. You're booking tours, you're handling publicity, you're working with venue owners, and most importantly, the fans. That's what I learned when I spoke to Sydney Counts, the manager for the band Dust City Opera. We met up at a local park as she told me about her and the band's experience of the past year. About 15 months ago in March, everything shut down, venues shut down. I'm sure tours were canceled. Describe to me the experience for you and the band and emotionally how that felt. It's hard to measure. Dust City Opera was actually getting ready to embark on our first major tour and we canceled a day before we were supposed to leave with the news of the pandemic. We were just reeling trying to figure out what was happening. South by Southwest was the big first festival to cancel. We were supposed to be there. I don't think we will ever recover financially from the impact of that. We haven't had a chance to really sit and reflect because we're still living through this trauma state together. Things are looking brighter now. We feel comfortable making plans. We're cautiously optimistic. But, you know, getting through last year, seeing some major venues shut down, seeing some big bands start to implode, it was really scary. And not knowing if we would be able to produce revenue for our band, not doing live shows or anything, we weren't really clear what our path was going to be but also we couldn't even get the band together to record in the studio. It didn't feel safe. And then there was this light at the end of the tunnel for us when the final bandmate got his vaccination. We were like, wow, okay, let's do this. We got together in May, we started recording our next album. And now we're looking at releasing some music later this year with the help of the community. Again, we're independent and we don't have the resources from a major label or anything like that. So we're actually gonna be crowdfunding this next album and turning to the community for help. How did you all kind of work around and ameliorate any type of apprehensions you guys had of the uncertainty that last year brought to us? We lost some band members. We gained some band members. We really had to take a step back and look at how are we gonna continue in the world? If we wanna keep making music and we have these uncertainties, what is our future? What do we want that to look like? And do we have the capacity? Do we have the time and the desire and the stamina to push through? You know, some of our bandmates decided this isn't something I want to do right now. It was really hard to lose some talented members, but it opened up the door to bring in new people. We're just rolling with the punches and doing what we can to take that next step forward. Tell me a little bit more about the band. This band is wild. I would describe Dust City Opera as eccentric, dark orchestral rock music. It is very genre bending. We have sort of like a rock setup, but then we also have a horn section. We have trombone. We have clarinet at times, accordion at times. We have classically trained artists. We have a jazz pianist. Clara on clarinet is like world-recognized klezmer musician. It's very interesting hearing those different styles come together under the umbrella of Dust City Opera, and you can kind of hear each flavor in the songs that they create. There's a lot of changes in the music industry now because of COVID. What changes have you run into so far, and what do you foresee in the future of the music industry, particularly for touring independent bands? Booking this tour has been immeasurably more challenging than tours we've tried to book in the past. A lot of the venues that we worked with before don't exist anymore. 
terms have changed, agents have changed. It's sort of like starting from the beginning and building new relationships with new venues at a time when everything is still precarious. If we go in the fall, COVID is not gone. So who knows if things will fall through again, if a new COVID variant comes. We are trying to be prepared for, you know, plan for the best, but prepare for the worst. Now, do you talk to other managers of other bands? What has been their perspective generally on the last year? I love that question because I don't encounter a lot of other independent music managers, certainly not in Albuquerque. In this industry, first of all, there are not a lot of women doing what I'm doing. So I feel like I have to prove myself with everybody I talk to. And secondly, I don't see a lot of independent managers. Most people that have management are seeking management with larger firms outside of the state. Speak to me a little bit more about your experiences as a woman. You said you had to prove yourself. It's been somewhat polarizing. I got my start here in Albuquerque. My background is not in music. I actually heard Dust City Opera play a show, and a month later I had quit my job to come manage them with no experience because I believe in the band. And taking that step here in Albuquerque, there is a great local community here that was willing to share resources and help me get on my feet. But I think I was a little naive thinking that that could be replicated in other markets when I went to take Dust City to the national stage. I have been shot down numerous times saying, oh, a band from Albuquerque can't do that. The things you're trying to do, you can't do that. This is Albuquerque, or there aren't the resources, or you don't have a label. My goal is to prove them wrong, because I do believe that with the right resources, Dust City Opera will succeed. Finding people to network with, it's what drives me. I love going out and meeting people and having coffee and just saying, you know, can I pick your brain? And nine out of ten of those conversations, I'm meeting with men, because I don't see other women that are accessible to me in the ways that I need them here in this market. Sydney Counts, I want to thank you so much for being with me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. If you have ever been to Canvas Artistry, it is a good bet to say that you had a great time. Food, music, and dancing, I mean, what more could you ask for? As reopening continues, new things are afoot as Canvas Artistry is expanding. They're moving to downtown Albuquerque. I met up with owner Jesus Gomez at the new location, which is going through some construction, let's say. As he walks me through the plans, he points out what their mission is. All, all these pillars will have artwork wrapped around. Uh, each pillar will have track lights going around each one. Uh, this will become an a art feature wall. Over to the left will become a permanent art installation that we're going to work on once we get open. Haven't had quite that much time, just been working on the construction. Seating area here, this is the full length bar. 60 inch TVs around each one of the main pillars in the main bar. booth being uh, fabricated right now it's all metal fabrication would be elevated it'll be up against that that becomes the backdrop 
We ran all of our own low voltage. Uh, we're bringing in QSC sound for the whole place. Uh, small acoustic speakers for the daytime stuff, and then the DJs will have their own full-blown setup. The bands will be able to just come in and plug in. So a lot of emphasis on that. I think a lot of times people forget about how important that that be, that is. You know, they they think about everything else, and then they just put the DJ in the corner and you know hook up a couple speakers. So this time around. First, first venue we did that as well, but this time around we wanted to do it on a larger scale. So no matter where you're sitting, it's going to have amazing sound. What's the mission of Canvas Artistry? I guess in a nutshell, it's really just creating a venue where all mediums of art could be showcased cohesively in the same space, whether it's you know tattoo work, graffiti, fine art, sculptures culinary art which i think a lot of times people forget about that that's you know an art form uh craft cocktails live entertainment djs that was kind of what we did in knob hill and now we decided that we wanted to step it up and create a larger space because we had such a an amazing draw and such an amazing pool from the community from the art community musicians we really worked hard you know to get where we're at right now and you know to be able to hopefully be open in the next month and you know we've had so many hurdles you know and, and so many times that you know we felt defeated but you know we just kept pushing forward and kept looking you know forward and knowing that you know once once we're able to be open that we'll be able to provide that space for all these people who kind of depend on us you know so not just our staff but you know all the artists and musicians and you know everybody we've really created a family when all venues had to kind of sh shut it down and close what was your initial reaction Man, uh, disappointment, you know, for sure. We were categorized as a bar, not so much a restaurant because our alcohol sales exceeded our food sales. So St. Patty's Day was kind of the last day we were able to be open. And we already had a whole full year solid booked for our off-premise events, catering events. We had already signed the lease for this new space. We didn't know what was going to happen. You know, we just knew that we had to go back to the drawing board and, and just figure things out. We've had major delays. We've had shortage of materials through this whole process through construction. Cities only working at a certain percentage. They're shorthanded. Inspections have taken, you know, two to three weeks when normally they would take two or three days. So it's definitely been difficult, but we just knew we had to keep pushing. We knew that everybody was, you know, kind of relying and depending on us to to get it to the end and that was pretty much what we did so here we are you know Back in this area we have a pool table that's going to be coming in and some lounge seating this wall will feature 360 inch tvs this one will have 260 inch tvs so that's another thing we didn't have at our last location that we wanted to kind of implement this time around was being able to have multiple TVs on different sports events, you know, we'll obviously be showing a lot of the United soccer games when they're playing, you know, out of state. And this back bar is the Bosque bar, which is going to kind of mimic a freight car. So right behind us is, you know, the railroad track. So you get to see, you know, Amtrak, the rail runner, all the freight cars going by with, you know, all the beautiful graffiti on it. So we're going to have that as the backdrop. Our old street sign from the Nob Hill location is going to be hanging on that wall. We have a couple local artists that are going to be doing a mural on that and then on the bottom of the coffee bar as well. You all are moving from Knob Hill to downtown. Downtown, in essence, is in the need of a drastic revitalization. It's fair to say that the move of Canvas down here is a part of that. What do you see for the future of entertainment, live music, and venues and food in Albuquerque in general, but specifically downtown Albuquerque? 
I feel like we're kind of setting ourselves in the core where, you know, in the next five years, I feel like the city is going to grow. We want to be able to not only cater to the locals who have supported us for the last five years, but also expand to people who are moving to the city. A lot of the conventions that are being held, you know, right across the street in the convention center. I feel like we're going to be in a good place. We're centrally located to be able to accommodate the daytime crowd, the business crowd. People want to come in and have a business meeting and they don't want to drink. We have the coffee bar option, the hydro bar. We definitely took a more healthier approach even to our food menu, you know, being conscious that people have dietary restrictions. And now we have that ability because we have a larger kitchen. Expected open date sometime in August. Absolutely. We're pushing for hopefully the second week of August if we don't run into any other delays or shortages of material. That's where we feel confident. Our liquor license is already transferred. We're already doing off-premise events as we speak. Hey, Suze, I want to thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks. Thank you guys for thinking of us, and uh, thank you for the opportunity. This is No More Normal. I'm Khalil Ecolona. We are vibing out and getting into the groove. This episode is all about music. We've heard from a panel of DJs, a venue owner, and a band manager. Coming up, we hear from the man behind the Outpost performance space, musicians who contributed to the sonic texture of Nomono, and a great band with an awesome name. We keep up the rhythm here with Nomono. No More Normal is brought to you by your New Mexico government. A collaboration between KUNM, New Mexico PBS, and the Santa Fe Reporter. Funding for our coverage comes from the Kellogg Foundation and KUNM listeners like you. Support for public media provided by the Thornburg Foundation. Hear us each week on KUNM Sundays at 11 a.m. Find past episodes online at KUNM.org or wherever you look for podcasts. At the end of each show, you may have heard me give special thanks to the musicians and bands that have contributed music to No More Normal. It goes Jazztone, the producer, Cheo, Dom Life, Business School, Sundog, and Olaud Records. Now you get to hear from them and check out some of the music they create. Enjoy. Hey, this is Jeff Alberson, a.k.a. Jazztone, the producer. I think for anybody who wanted to remain active, which was difficult for a lot of people, particularly the live community, the eyes had to be opened up to using technology in order for that to happen. So we saw a level of using technology to collaborate that just basically didn't occur before that because it didn't have to, it was an option. But once it became the only way, there was a huge expansion of that. And that did even touch me in my personal circumstance. experiences that we all collectively shared last year changed perception, changed reality for all of us, many in very visible, tangible ways. Others, I think, is yet to come or be seen. How do you think that affects what audiences want to hear as opposed to what we've been conditioned to listen to? You know, that's an excellent question. In fact, that's the question of the moment. I don't know if you got a chance to see it, but I'm sure my other creators did see the rant by T-Pain. T-Pain. Do something else! That's it! That's all we want! Do something else! Holy (laughs) We have it! We have it already! You don't have to do that music anymore! What type of intentions do you have for your music going here on forward? Well, I'm one of those people that believes that if you have true creative talent, 
I think there's a responsibility that comes with that. With that responsibility, we have to serve what we see mankind needs more so than what they're willing to take. And so the music I will be creating that I created in the pandemic and going forward is thought provoking. It has layers to it. It's something you can live with and use to become a better person in some way or enrich in a great area of yourself that you already have. That's what I'm going to do with my creativity. And I think more people are going to choose that who are creatives. I'm Cheo. What's up? <laughs> I just sit back, sit back, don't get no tip, get a tip tack, tip tack. And a sip that, sip that, real green up in my zig You left Albuquerque I back, and yes, went on to make some moves to pursue your art and your career. Talk to me about what the last year was like when you left during a pandemic to go start something new. Oh man, well it was, it was kind of easier because the year was already so crazy. So many things had happened to me in that year. So a big move like that didn't really feel like a big move because it felt like every day was a big move. <laughs> yeah. I was going to move to this other place that all fell through and I ended up here and it was pretty impulsive, but I think it all worked out for the best and um, I'm really glad I did it. It's weird not being at home, especially since I've lived there my whole life. So it's like, Hmm. there's definitely massive cultural differences. It's very obvious that I'm not an Albuquerque. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think it's all positive because just... It gives me more perspective. You cannot achieve revelation when you information. What I'm doing through making these records is honing my voice in a way that I can use it to give back and to be of service. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like all the songs I write are kind of about that. Trying to extend that feeling of searching for purpose and then feeling it and knowing that it's the best use of my time and energy mm-hmm. and then trying to spread that feeling to other people in like the most diverse effective way that I can what up what up I'm Dominic Reese you can call me Dom or Dom Life. Is something missing from the cipher? Did we miss the evolution? The beat broke, we kick gloves and beef was in the movement. That mic sniper accurate attacking get loose quick and slap just for acting like you murdering loose. Grown minute. I've been talking to a lot of different artists about their musical journey, particularly in this last year of the pandemic. Some people dug in and, you know, wrote an album right. or two or recorded something. Other people kind of stepped back for a litany of reasons. Which side do you land on? Definitely the latter of those two. I honestly have not really done much. Have you even thought about it at all? I mean, yeah, I think about it every day. It's being an artist is just something that's part of who you are and it's not going to really go away. Yeah. I still have my writing process that I still go through where, you know, I kind of take down notes here and there. Mm -hmm. But it's just been kind of difficult for me to complete anything substantial. I've made some 
productions and uh, you know i wrote a couple songs but not anywhere near the scope that i used to do before all this started going on you know it, i mean it's a it's a lot of things it's it's you know the the hardship of the loss you know losing losing people friends family members it's the isolation has been hard the, the, you know not being able to have the outlet of performing the music has been very difficult that's a big one anybody who's familiar with your music you're talking about social issues you know i've known you for 12 years and that's been your entire career talking about yeah. these social issues and bringing to light some of the injustices in the world are you just thinking that maybe there's a different way of communicating to people it's just kind of hard at this point to try to see like what the path forward is like i've been talking about these social issues the whole time like in all my music so it's like well what can i say that i haven't said yet mm. and then there's also like is it my time to even say it you know should i step back and you know let more women speak mm. you know just kind of minimize myself you know let somebody else have their time and have the moment you know what i mean like yeah a feeling that never leaves a feeling like it's the bottom where you'll drown My name is Alexei Pachalak, and I am business school. Business school. Business school. But I feel like it's been weird for everyone. At the same time, it's it's weird saying it, but I feel like it was a great excuse to kind of practice parts of like music production and like music mixing and stuff. Like, just had way too much free time to kind of like learn the ropes and you know, learn new techniques and stuff that I hadn't known. My stuff hasn't really been focused on sort of the large scale, like what's happening in the world and like politically and whatever. I feel like it's almost kind of gone the opposite direction, weirdly, where yeah, it's more focused on my close relationships because I almost feel like that's all I've really seen in person in the past year and a half. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I like that because by taking it and focusing on this small group of people, there's probably universal themes that affect all folks. Tell me about the name Business School. That's a usual <laughs> name for a one-person outfit. I don't know. I was always moving around ever since high school, and it was kind of hard to pin down a bunch of people to like be in a band consistently. So I was like, it'd mm -hmm. be cool to kind of still have the ability to release music whenever I wanted, but also bring people in and make stuff with friends and whatnot. Okay. So like I put out an EP last September and I think half the tunes on that. My friend Nathan sings vocals and like wrote the vocals on them. The name itself, don't really know where it comes from. I There's this band Real Estate I like a lot. So I feel like it's kind of a take on that or it's this weird abstract thing to be a band name. I like the name because it feels like if being a rock star doesn't work out, business school is the plan. Definitely. <laughs> My name's Colin Botsford. I play guitar and sing and some other instruments sometimes for Sundog. My name's Luce Allison. Uh, I play bass in Sundog, and that's about it. 
Did you have any shows booked last year that you had to cancel because of COVID? Did Sundog? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Monolith on the Mesa, oh, yeah. which happened kind of right, maybe like right as the lockdown. That Monolith on the Mesa would have been, that would have, oh man, dude, that was a heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Mad Alchemist, Lance, was going to come down and do visuals and a whole huge handful of great bands were going to be there, so it was more of a festival than a show. Like, all of us were just kind of freaked out. Like, it came out of left field. Like, you know, not getting together was a huge bummer, but we were all just kind of freaked out about, like, what was going on, you know? You couldn't get, like, groceries at that time and stuff, so playing music kind of took a back burner for me. I was actually really excited about maybe getting to record. We have a bunch of songs, you know, in the catalog right now that haven't been recorded. So I was like, this is going to be perfect. We're going to get to record so much. But as each day unfolded more information about what was actually happening, obviously, you know, we tried to do our part to keep New Mexico safe, to keep Albuquerque safe, to get us open again as, as soon as we could. So the group practices totally took a back seat to you know, just staying at home and trying to keep everybody safe. That was really scary at first. And, you know, and still is now. But as far as the future, what are you looking forward to for Sundog and the local music scene? Uh, house shows. <laughs> <laughs> that was my favorite. I'm looking forward to seeing everyone that I haven't gotten to see in the last year checking in with them and sharing a stage with them or sharing an audience presence with them and you know those are all special moments that we obviously didn't get any of the last year so I I just can't wait to make some new memories I guess. I would definitely say playing live is just getting in that energy is going to be great again but I also am looking forward to all the new things that are going to start opening up. I think there's going to be a lot of new music venues, new bands, seeing what everyone else has been up to over quarantine. Nice. Um, yeah. My name is Jeremy Jasper. I'm with Olad, and I am the owner and founder of Olad. It was definitely a complete shift in like how we process and do music. Prior to quarantine, you know, I was going to a lot of writing camps overseas. Uh, we were doing a lot of shows, and then, you know, quarantine hit, and it was like, as a label, we had to rebrand. We had to go from throwing shows to, like, hosting live streams. We had to figure out different ways to showcase artists. Songwriting has completely changed. You know, I'm used to pulling up to a studio with a room full of people. Now we're all on a Zoom call, and we're, like, throwing ideas back and forth. So it really challenged songwriters to learn how to record themselves and how to, you know, I I did a lot of sessions where I was teaching people how to record themselves. Like they had never recorded themselves. It was like, oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to do that. You were nominated for a Grammy. Can you talk to us about that experience? I started writing K-pop about five years ago. When we first started writing, I went over to Korea, you know, I really was just like, didn't even know what I was getting into. I went over there and I really fell in love with the culture. And I was like, man, like, this is huge. Like, I think that if this kid, you know, cross over into America, it will be really awesome. 
you know, a few years later, slowly start to trickle over. And then next thing you know, bigger artists started to trickle in. And then, you know, then a few broke through. BTS broke through. Blackpink broke through. And that opened up the doors for everyone, you know, in the K-pop scene to, to break through. It's a very growing market. I was glad to be in it from the beginning of the crossover. You know, it's been booming for 10, 20 years, but like we got in like right when it started to cross over to America. So yeah, super thankful, yeah. I think the biggest thing that I've always looked for with artists in OLAD and like what we're trying to create is just originality. You know, doing stuff like, especially in a community like New Mexico, we don't have a New Mexican sound. We don't have like a Southwestern sound. With any project that we worked on, for instance, Galaxy's project, her first album, we were trying to mix Southwestern sound with electronic music. So if you listen to her project, it's very like tribal <laughs> and like Indian influences with big bass dubstep sound. I think that in quarantine, people started to realize that we have to put out better content. More, not necessarily better content, more uplifting content, content that was gonna make you feel good. I think like, it reminded me of the revolution in the 70s. You know, the 70s revolution of music was all like, power, upward motion, like how can we become better people? Better people. Better Many thanks to our sonic contributors to No More Normal. That's Jazzstone, the producer, Cheo, Dom Life, Business School, Sundog, and Olaf Records. When I worked downtown at Sister Bar, it was always a great time to work during one of the epic shows. The band Prison Bitch always provided the energy that would make the crowd go wild. Effervescent and engaging, make sure you see them when you get the chance. You will not regret it. I met up with a few members of the band before a rehearsal to catch up on the past year. You all have another member who's not here, correct? Her name is Lila Rose, and she's the vocal keys guitar cuckoo brain. Of prism bitch. Nice. She's the she's the, the wild card. <laughs> nice. I've seen it. Who's got the medallion? Who's got the fire within? So here we are, venues are opening up again. After a year, over a year, of not being able to play, not being able to perform for folks, I've seen you live. I love it. I love the energy that you all bring. Tell me, for each of you, what was this last year in quarantine like, being away from crowds and being able to perform your craft in front of people? We had a tour planned in March, and I think a lot of other musicians did, too, in 2020. I think we were, uh, what is the word, like, in denial. We were in denial about the reality of the situation. I remember South by Southwest had canceled and we were like, well, maybe because we were supposed to go to this festival in Boise. Yeah, when it really hit, I was sort of numb because we were excited to go on tour and we had felt like there was a lot of momentum. We had had the biggest tour we'd ever had. 
in fall of 2019 on the East Coast, places we'd never played. We were out for 40 days, and, and nowadays I think people don't really make money so much off of selling like CDs and stuff. It's more from performances if you're going to make money as a musician. And so we were just excited. 2020, we had several tours planned, not even for the whole year, and it was like a gut punch. How did you all keep that relationship with your fans in in intact? Did it grow? Did you just kind of say, hey, guys, we're going through this, too. We'll see you when we see you type of thing? Well, one of the things that happened during the pandemic is we released an album, too. And so that was one way for us to stay in touch with fans mm-hmm. and get our music out there during that time. We did use social media we had a publicist and we rolled it out and there was this spirit of you know should we wait until we really could promote the album appropriately but then who knows how long that would be and then also this is who we were at this time yeah and why sit on it and there did seem to be a spirit of like openness through some quarantine videos that we had released and that other bands were releasing venues were hosting virtual live streams um, Launchpad was incredible in keeping Albuquerque moving forward and keeping bands engaged, keeping sound people with their skills set up so they could show up to an empty venues. You guys are one of the more popular bands in town doing your thing. Do you guys see Albuquerque as a place that will have more venues? Do you see it the opportunity for local bands and touring bands to grow, the music scene growing in Albuquerque as a result of this? Well, I definitely see all those new venues opening up and a lot of new stages here in town. And I'm seeing a lot of new bands and a lot of new energy put into music here. And I think a new appreciation for people who were in the pandemic for music, I'm seeing a lot of that, and we're just now starting to open up, and so uh, it gives me hope that music will have an appreciation that it didn't have before this year. Yeah, and one thing that I love about Albuquerque, and I mean, this is kind of changing a little bit with our economy, with the new influx of, you know, I feel like there's a lot of people moving in, and that can be for good or bad, I mean, but typically Albuquerque has been one of the places that's more affordable, that's why all the artists that I know that we've stayed here because we can be near our families and we can do our art without, we don't have to work so hard to pay our bills that we can't do what we love and not make money at it, you know? Um, so whether that will change is still to be seen, but one of the things that I think is advantageous to us is the weather is mild here, and especially coming out of pandemic, you know, we have this opportunity to have outdoor spaces that don't get a lot of rain. So whatever comes in the next couple of years, I think we have a nice ability to have things happen outside with good good ventilation. Yes. <laughs> When's the first Albuquerque show? Uh, we have a show at the launch pad on Sunday, August 27th. August 27th. 29th. August 29th. Sunday. 29th. Yeah. Sunday. And we're also playing Prickly Pear Festival. Yeah, there's a prickly pear festival, did you know? I didn't know there's prickly pears out here. Oh, there's so many. Okay. But we finally have a festival for them. Okay. It's high time. Prickly pears have to get their day. (laughs) I tried to make prickly pear wine this year. How'd it work? Oh, it was bad. It was really bad, but I made like 40 bottles of terrible wine. Did you drink it? 
I drank some and I got sick. Oh, wow. But okay. then I gave the rest to the land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those nitrates. Excellent. Well, 75% of the band Prison Bitch, thank you so much for talking with me. I appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for speaking with thank us. You. Thank well, you. Tell me about it, stud. Getting $100 a day. Smooth is the name of the game at the Outpost Performance Space, where jazz rules the day. They host all other kinds of music, but the Outpost is Albuquerque's jazz hub. I met up with owner Tom Goralnik. As we sat on stage, he told me about what the past year has been like and what innovations they've discovered. It was a big shift. <laughs> I felt really bad for the musicians. Our last performance was March 14th. This woman, Melissa Aldana, a great performance here. and. You know, all of us, like everybody, were thinking, oh, it'll be a month, two months, blah, 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 blah. She left, that was her last performance. For, she went back to New York, her last performance for till now. And the same thing with Outpost. So that was it. We kept our online classes going. We even expanded them a little. But for performances, we started doing some online stuff. Here we are sitting in the space, you and I, right now. We started doing some video productions. During this time, we've had a lot of stuff to do and don't know how we would have done it if we were going full force with performances at the same time. And we've been doing a lot of planning for the future. Talk to me about that planning for the future, because a lot of the folks I've talked to, venue owners, musicians, and managers who work in the business of music, have talked about the advent of technology allowing them to keep going like it did for you all here at the Outpost. But no one is quite clear. People want to plan for the future as far as performances and touring and dates, but they're tenuous. They're trepidatious about what to do next. Is that something you're experiencing? Absolutely. I mean, we're sitting in here. We had one of the first performances last night, and we look around. The chairs are all spread out, and I am more conservative. So I'm going slowly and sort of improvising, and we're I'm requiring masks and limiting audience to about 50, 60 people which is a third of our occupancy. There's room between people, but it's a small, intimate space. We bought ceiling fans that have UV light, UV rays. We're bringing in fresh air, we're leaving the doors open, we're social distancing, so I think we're about as safe as could be, but who knows, you know? And we're doing one set, and then people leave, so there's no schmoozing, <laughs> not much schmoozing, I mean. The musicians and the audience and the staff and the technical crew, I mean, we're all in this together and I think that's the nature of the place. That's what musicians feel when they come here. They get it right away, the minute they walk in. This is a place where they're respected. I call it informally respectful. That's what I call this place. I don't want it to be an uptight kind of situation. It's a listening room, but it's an informal thing and it's about the art, the musicians, the community. 
it occurred to me last night with like only allowing 50 people we probably could say that every show sells out <laughs> it's easier to sell out 50 than 160. <laughs> how many shows are you planning in the future from here throughout the rest of the summer i'm looking to book a few shows actually and that's what i mean i'm going slowly i'm kind of improvising i guess that's appropriate for jazz we're doing some collaborations you know with amp bringing chawa to uh, casa flamenca and and we're doing outside show at the Santa Fe Plaza and we're doing our Summerfest stage. Actually, that's an interesting one on August 7th, Knob Hill Summerfest. It's much smaller this year, but we're doing a stage and it's a focus on black music in, and black musicians in New Mexico. So I'm really excited about that. I know you're improvising and you're playing it by ear, cautious to see you know, how things develop. What do you see for the future for the Outpost? We're involved in building a what we call the Future Fund for Outpost, which is for our own sustainability into the future and beyond my term. I look forward to, you know, I'm 70 now. I've run the Outpost for 33 years. You know, I look forward to a younger generation, different people, more diverse staff and leadership and so forth. In order to do that, we really need to build up a sustainability fund. Also, and this is the first time I've said it on radio, 516 Arts and Outpost will be joining forces under the same roof in a new building in Sawmill. And it looks like it's a go. We're getting money from the city, from the state, from the county, from individuals. It's a $10 million project. There'll be housing on it. And it's right across the street from the National Institute of Flamenco, right behind the Natural History Museum. That's the plot. So it'll be a big jump for us and plus being in the same facility with 516 Arts which is really a visionary organization run by Suzanne Sparge and we've been talking about this for 15 years now but finally this idea came to fruition and it's really gaining support. So we hope by 2024 in the beginning of 2024 that we'll be open down there. Tom Grolnick who runs the Outpost Performance Space. Thanks for talking with me. Thank you so much, Khalil. That's really great. Always, we want to thank our guests for sharing their experience and expertise. Special thanks to Jazzstone, the producer, Cheo, Dom Life, Business School, Sundog, and Olad Records for providing music to the show. Khaki, Pope, Yes, Yes, Y'all, and Bigawatt produced some of the show's themes. No More Normal is produced and hosted by yours truly. I'm Khalil Ekelona. Thanks for listening. <laughs>